Hi everyone, welcome to Bastards and Bells, the only podcast discussing the novel The Bells by Danielle Clayton. In today's episode, we will be discussing uh, basically all things to do with the novel, beginning, middle, and end, uh, including plot points, character development, setting, themes, all that really fun stuff. I'm sure your English teachers will love me. Alright, let's get into it. Starting off with the beginning of the novel, we are introduced to the six girls, the bells for this generation. Now, at the time, we are basically getting a background, a history of this new fantasy world we're being introduced to, which is Orleans. And if you I haven't really looked into it too much, but from what I can tell, it brings in a lot of New Orleans culture and puts a really fun fantasy twist to it. Now, don't get me wrong, before I really got into reading it, I was kind of like not really into it but this book really is a big surprise because once you really get into it it has such a unique dynamic between characters the storyline flows so beautifully there's so much imagery description it's a unique idea it's nothing I've really ever read before and that's saying a lot given that I've read most fantasy YA novels on the market When we come into this novel, I really thought that the main event was going to be about, you know, the selection process that we learn about with the Bells. They have different tea houses, which I thought was kind of interesting, where uh, the citizens can go in and be changed by the Bells. Because the citizens of Orleans actually start out as something called the Gris. And they have pale gray skin, red eyes, straw-like hair, and they are... And that's viewed as really unattractive, really. Like, it's not good if you're the Gris. It's not a great thing. And the Bells are supposedly blessed by the goddess of beauty to have the ability to change uh, anything about their appearance. They could change their nose shape, change their cheek shape, change their skin color, change their hair texture, change their hair length, color, size, shape, how much fat, how much muscle, anything you can imagine with physical tamp- uh, physical appearance, they can change. Along with temper, which is something we learn about later on with uh, some citizens, if they feel that they're... A lot of parents have their children changed, so if they feel their kid has a nasty temper, they'll have them in and most likely bring them to a bell who is specialized in temper and personality-related changes. So... Really, these people, I say they're people, I mean they're kind of their own thing, can change whatever they really want. And I think that's kind of cool because, I mean, in the society we live in, you know, normally it's all about beauty trends and this or that and, you know, plastic surgery, which I I actually had a similar idea for like a creative writing thing about, you know, I read a study on how we will actually probably end up being able to pick genetics for, you know, kids. Like, we can go in and be like, oh, I want my kid to have blue eyes, blonde hair. But I could be a redhead married to a guy with black hair and deep brown eyes. And we could, you know, customize our kid to have blonde curls and blue eyes, which I think is really crazy. But it's something that's becoming possible. And this book kind of, it kind of made me think a lot about that and how we really do take physical appearance into account for most things. You know, if you, if you look a certain way, you get judged immediately. And in this book, it really does hone in on that. 
And actually, later on in the book, we see how the royalty, uh, the princess in particular, is so overcome with this need to be perfect. And she has all these expectations from her mom, who is, you know, once you become queen, it's expected that you settle on one look and you maintain that look through your entire reign. But this princess, she's so rambunctious and she's so crazy. And I actually, I find it kind of, I find it kind of funny because the main character, when she first meets her, you know, she's already been told all this stuff like, uh, watch out, be careful, all this stuff. And she's kind of just, she wants to, you know, she just, she relates to her. She understands her want to be the best, her want to, you know, be perfect with what she does. And I think that's kind of kind of an interesting dynamic between the two characters. You know, you have this, eventually, someone who eventually becomes this antagonist, who, with the protagonist, you know, fundamentally, they have these same idealisms and goals. How they translate them, though, is completely different. Because with Camilla, you have her trying to help people, and she's trying to be the best at what she does. She wants to be picked by the queen to be the favorite belle. She wants to work in the palace. She wants to have all the most glorious, expensive, rich clients. However, with the princess, you know, it, her goals are fundamentally the same, wanting to be the best. You know, she wants to rule her kingdom. She wants to be a trendsetter. She wants to be in the beauty scopes, which are basically like these magazines that show what the latest trends are. It's kind of like how we have People Magazine. They would have the beauty scopes for the week, which would show, you know, uh, someone who lives in the Fire Isles, which is one of the places in this world of Orleans, who had a certain beauty treatment done that was really unique and eventually starts a trend. And in the same way that Princess Sophia is constantly striving to be the one in the beauty scopes, you know, making her impression, you know, she wants to be loved and favored by the people. She wants to be the best. Camilla has never really followed the rules when it's come to, you know, learning and practicing her talents. So she is very much, you know, she relates in the same way of wanting to be the best. She wants to know, she wants to be the most creative. She wants to be unique. She wants to be known for what she does. And they're so similar in that way. And I find it so, like, fascinating how the character dynamic can be so similar and yet their motives can be so different when you really get down to it. Now, in the beginning of the book, it starts out with we are introduced to Camilla seeing the uh, main island of Orleans for the first time. She's going in, and when she's going into Orleans, she is actually going for to display her talents in the festival of... At the beginning of the book, uh, Camille is actually going in to display her talents for the queen in order for this selection process to happen. And Camilla is so, she's very nervous, she's so overwhelmed, but she's also so overcome with the beauty of Orleans. And I think that the imagery in this book is a huge reason of why I love it so much, because I'm a sucker for good imagery. I would rather play my own movie in my head with what I think the characters are like than actually watch some big Hollywood production of the movie. Because in my head, you know, I got to pick out what the characters look like, so haha, 
I just really prefer it. Now, this book actually had a lot of trouble with it just because these people are constantly changing their appearances. But I feel like I was able to still keep the mental image while keeping at least some common traits for each of the characters. Um, but when we first introduced, we're introduced to her and her sisters, and we immediately see that her and Amber, or Ambrosia is her full name, have a really deep bond and connection. They're not supposed to have, you know, favorite people, but they do. They are each other's favorite people, their favorite sisters. And they have always been in major competition with each other to be named the favorite. And Camilla's mother was the favorite. And Camilla was very close with her mother. And she feels it's her duty to be the favorite after her mom. <laughs> now, Camilla actually is known by Madame Dewberry, who is who basically raised them and taught them how to use their abilities correctly. And Camilla has already been known by her and is really, like, Madame Dewberry is really not her biggest fan. Just because Camilla was always so creative and she never really was a big fan of, you know, the basics and what everybody else is taught. She always had a big focus on making her own path, which is another way she and the princess are related to each other is they are both, you know, they both really want to make their own way. They want to be unique. They want to be eye-catching. They want to be the best. And Camilla, she always has experimented. And whenever you see her display, that's when we finally get that first taste of her little bit of rebellion. And I personally love it. Now, what she does is they were given these assigned books that they're supposed to give their uh, first clients. And they're given these assigned looks that they're supposed to give them. And rather than falling along, Camilla does something that's never really been done before. Camilla uses her abilities to manipulate a flower into this cocoon and cocoons her girl into it and makes all the changes happen there and makes her into an exact replica of Camilla. Other than, of course, her eyes, which are, the Belle's eyes are a very unique amber color that can't be replicated. You can get pretty close, but you can't get that exact amber color. So she turns this girl into an exact copy of her. And that's something that's really a big no-no, like a huge no-no. And she actually ends up getting in trouble for it later on. And because of this, Camilla isn't named the favorite right off the bat, which I thought was such such like a thing that just kind of slapped me in the face because I was expecting her to get it right off the bat, but she didn't. And so already this book is throwing me off my feet and it was kind of really fun because I normally don't have that problem. I normally can just kind of guess what's going to happen. But Camilla isn't named favorite. So Camilla is assigned the Chrysanthemum Tea House, which is the second, you know, most important place to get beauty treatments other than, of course, the favorite who lives in the palace. And Camilla, once she gets there, she's already noticing all these really weird things. She hears screams of like pain and terror in the night. And these people walking around and, you know, having parties. And it's really just weird. It's nothing that she signed up for. And she does her first client. And this mother is demanding all this stuff for her child. And she's just really getting her first taste of, this is not what I signed up for. Now, actually, one night during the noises and partying, Camilla, it's actually her first night. She sneaks out 
and she notices there are other bells. And she hasn't been told about these bells. And she actually only sees one at the time. But later on in the novel, you find out that there is a bunch of other bells that have just kind of been hidden. And I still, I don't think we ever really do learn for where they come from. I think that's something that's revealed in the sequel, which I haven't read yet. But they don't know about these other bells. And they're almost keeping a secret. And they only come out at night and do night appointments. And if you actually listen to one of the conversations, you hear one of them say, what's wrong with her face? And this is such a crazy thing. And it's so much foreshadowing. Because later on the book, Camille's actually in the library and she's reading up on all these old journal entries. And and we're led to believe that these bells always come out perfect and that they've always got these great abilities. And it actually turns out that some generations of bells came out with opposite effects rather than making people beautiful she would make them you know ugly like these bells were almost effective and there really isn't there really is never given an explanation of why they come out this way or what it is so you know it's kind of just it's just kind of crazy to me that we can be introduced to the side of it and then there'd be a whole nother completely new different side and Camilla, she never actually sees him. And she, the first time she actually gets to see a bell who's been damaged by working too much is whenever later on she is already moved into the palace after being named favorite later on in this book. And she sees Ivy, who is her predecessor, the favorite from the generation before her. And she is basically like her older sister. And Ivy... Ivy's face is severely disfigured from working with the princess. And so I actually have a theory that the princess is, you know, taking these bells and these bells are all just kind of taken in and out behind the scenes and being used to try and do these crazy experiments the princess has got going on. And I think it's such an interesting world building thing to introduce so early on. And the fact that we actually don't get closure or clearance on it until way later on the book is so crazy. I think it's such a great way to write the story. And I think that the author did a really great job of including mystery while also having an explanation. I think the foreshadowing and the plot twist and everything is just laid out in such a manner that while you kind of look back and you're like, wow, why didn't I see that coming? Because all the signs point back to it. And I've read this book three times now. And each time I pick up on new little things that lead up to these main events in the book. And it's just so creative and so interesting to me. And I really do, like, I do enjoy the fact that I can look through and find exactly what was going to lead up to what. And, you know, back to this opposite effect thing that I talked about, you know, these generations of bells coming out almost effective. Actually, Camilla's mom... They have these books, and they're called bell books, and you're supposed to write down your experiences, you know, all these things that you go through while in the process of being a bell. And no bell is ever supposed to see it, but her mom was smart enough to put it in her little caboodle thing that she keeps with her going to beauty treatments in a hidden compartment. Because these things have got thousands upon thousands of compartments with tools and all kinds of makeup and stuff like that. And Camilla's mom left hers, and there's actually a journal entry. And this is when we start to see 
you know, the darker side of the Bells. And they're always sheltered from the side of, you know, their abilities and what they can do. Camilla's mom killed someone on accident. She had a client who kept on asking for whiter and whiter and whiter skin almost. You know, she just kept on asking and asking and asking for it. And was actually like, you know, like physically hurting her. And these Bells are treated so terribly. At one point in the book, Camilla is cornered by a man and he's trying to force himself onto her. And it's just, it's awful, you know? And it's just, it's it's really like they're treated as objects. They're not treated as beings. They're kind of treated just like a machine or something that just has to keep on going. Because these people really don't know what they're capable of. Because really, when you hear them describe, you know, what it's like to, you know, work on these people, it's almost like they're working with a clay doll. And they're just, you know, doing, it's like they're working with a little Barbie doll that they can, like, grow out their hair and stuff like that. But what her mom does is she's getting so fed up with this client that she just imagines wrinkles and her skin just kind of going out and her organs failing. And then it happened. These bells have the ability to take life. And that's something they're never told about. Which means that these bells are capable of way more than they're allowed to know. Which is making me think, you know, there's a lot of discussion of how there used to be, you know, the festival when the bells are originally introduced and the favorites picked and their assignments are given. There used to be, at one point, there was 212. There was 212 bells that year. There are only six at this point. So what is happening for these numbers to be going down like this. Like, what is going on? And, you know, Camilla, she, she, you know, she's learning more and more about this, especially with Sophia. Princess Sophia. Now, Amber, she gets fired as the favorite, and Camilla eventually takes over her spot. And this is, like, still way up in the beginning of the book. This book is just jam-packed with back-to-back-to-back events. Now, when Camilla is named the favorite, she's introduced Sophia, and eventually Sophia brings her to her private workroom. And she's finding all these new uses for bell blood, and she's doing all these things. And it's just, it's so crazy what she's figured out by just using the blood of these bells. And the reason we find out Amber was, you know, taken from her position is Sophia made it happen. And we're also starting to see Sophia's cruelty. So all these different themes, plot points, character developments are all coming together. And Amber, Ambrosia, whatever you want to call her, Amber was always known as a rule follower, which is why she was picked. <coughs> I promise I don't have Rona. But Amber was picked as, because she was this rule follower and all this fun stuff. And the reason she was fired is because Sophia had her do these wicked transformations on people. She had one woman have her skin completely transparent so you can see her bones and organs and blood men, everything in her body just completely exposed. She covered one woman in feathers. She can do really whatever she wants. And at one point, Camilla, she, I can't remember what she did, but Sophia makes Camilla take uh, this one girl at this party. She makes her turn her nose into a pig snout, 
And I mean, basic treatments, it talks about how painful they can be. And they don't give this girl anything to numb her or prepare her or even give her a proper workstation or even tools, which are, you know, used to reduce the pain and everything. And Camilla is forced to give this girl an ungodly, you know, this malformation on her face, this pig nose. And it's terrible. And we're starting to see, you know, all these different themes of Sophia's personalities. I mean, you know, she really is just, you know, when we first meet her, she we're led to believe she's just this misguided girl. And as we find out, you know, it's just she's crazy you know she does all this stuff and she is forcing the bells to do all these things but it also is allowing us to see the side of the bell's powers that we wouldn't be exposed to any other way and so we're being exposed to these new abilities and how they really can be for good or evil and all of this stuff and that they're never really told before they're just always told you know you make people pretty they're never told hey you can kill someone or hey you can severely malform someone and with the ability to take life one of the theme you know one of the themes discussed is you know the value of these lives of the bells because you know they're supposed to die at a certain time and they get a sickness it never goes in detail but inherently they're supposed to all get a sickness you know before they die so you know they they all get the sickness and they eventually die. Their bodies are burned. All this good stuff. But we're never really told why they all kind of die at once. We're never really told why one generation goes out when it does. We're never really told why any of these things happen. And we really, nothing really is known about the Bells. Really nothing is known. And the people think that they know all this stuff. They really know nothing. And the Bells are almost treated like little Barbie dolls. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy. I, it really, it really is crazy to me that they can be treated this way and yet valued at the same time. And they can have all these potential things, you know, they can do that are just completely limited. Like, you know, it's crazy. I feel like every character in this story kind of has their own motif. You know, with Sophia, it's power and a desire for beauty. Whereas with Camilla, it's, you know, it's pride and it's taking pride in the thing that she loves to do, which is her beauty work. And I think it's really like the book is just so complex and it dives into the ideas. And these motifs really do have to deal with their character and how they interact with the characters around them and how all of their, you know, their goals and what they want to achieve in life, you know, everything combines and collides. And I think it's just really well played out. And just with everything together, the book as a whole is great. And it goes in depth with so many topics that are, you know, hot and controversial right now. So it was actually really fun to read and compare with some of the things going on. Uh, I definitely recommend it um, for just a for fun read. You know, I really do plan on reading the sequel. I think it's a great, great book, and I really do hope they make some other adaptation and that the series can 
series and world and everything else continues to grow. Back to the book using imagery. It uses a lot of metaphors and similes to the book to kind of identify uh, all these different descriptive things that really describe the world. And it made it a lot easier for me to read and understand that they really do help build the themes of beauty and perfection, expectations, all of that stuff that we've already discussed. And as great of a book as this is, and I would love, I really could talk about it all day. It's such a great, unique story. I'm going to have to start wrapping it up right here. But I've got a couple more things to go over, and then I will be done. <laughs>